Good morning. It's a pleasure to be here uh, this morning. It's been, I believe, eight years since uh, the last time that I was here to give a short update on the Ministry to Seafarers. So it is, it is really a pleasure to be able to come back. Um, and also in the past couple of years, we haven't really done any church visits uh, or, or traveled to too many places. So all of our updates have been done by our, basically by email, and I've sent out a few video updates uh, and over social media. So it is, it is really a pleasure to see people in person again and to be able to share with you uh, both God's word and a bit about what's been going on with the Ministry to Seafarers in the past few years. So as we all know, the past couple of years have been a challenge. We've all faced restrictions of some sort. They've come and gone, and now things have opened up again. For seafarers, all of these restrictions that we've faced have been increased exponentially. Uh, For most of the crew, they've not been allowed off their ships, uh, for some of them, for two and a half years. So imagine that uh, all of you on this side of the church were told that you now have to stay in church for the next nine months. Uh, You can walk around outside in the church property, but that's it. You can't go shopping. Your your food, one of you will have to cook, uh, and so your food will be be, uh, delivered to you, and yeah, whether you like each other or not, you have to maintain the church and keep things going and, you know, get along for the next nine months when this group of people here will replace you. And then that repeats over again for the next nine months after that. And that's what it's been like for the seafarers. They've been on their ships, they join their ships, and for many of them, they've had to leave. Now it's getting better, but uh, especially at the beginning of the pandemic, they would leave their homes two weeks at least before their actual joining, they would go to a quarantine hotel, which was not necessarily the best location, uh, or the, you know, they'd sit by themselves in a hotel room for two weeks to quarantine, then they'd get on a flight, they would fly to wherever their ship was, and depending on the regulations of that particular country, they might have to quarantine for two weeks there as well in a hotel where they don't know anybody, don't speak the language, probably don't have the same type of food. And uh, then finally, after those two weeks are done, they join their ship. Now, you'd think, oh, well, they're going to work. That would be fine, except for the fact that they're not paid when they go in these quarantine hotels. So they don't get paid until they actually join the ship. So that's another month where they could have been with their families that they they were having to uh, basically sit by themselves and not get paid for it either. So that was one challenge. And then when they were on board their ships, they were not able to get off in the different ports. And things that we take for granted, you know, if we we go home at night and we watch a movie, we're like, oh, I feel a little munchy. I'll grab a bag of chips or pop some popcorn or grab a chocolate bar or something like that. Uh, For most of these guys, they don't have that. They get provided their three meals, but they don't have all those little snack items and things that we take for granted. And so it's one of the things that we've been doing, that we've done for them quite a bit is personal shopping. A lot and a lot of personal shopping. Uh, the year before, I believe in 2021, we did over $60,000 worth of personal shopping for seafarers. So we would buy the items, 
deliver it to the ship and the crew would pay it, pay for it. We still do some of that, even though a lot of the crews, thankfully now, are able to get off the ship. Um, they're able to enjoy Montreal. It's summer in Montreal and the festivals and things going on. They're able to do that. They're able to go shopping themselves and get the things that they would like. But there are still a few uh, ships that do not have shore leave. And so last week, one of those ships was in port and I was able to deliver a number of items to the, to the ship. Things like one of the crew members wanted... Uh, five kilos of, of oatmeal. So brought him oatmeal. And then he texted me again. And he said they didn't get their shipment of uh, soap and shampoo uh, in Europe. And would I be able to buy him soap and shampoo and toothpaste and deodorant? So I did that. And then I had another seafarer from Croatia who enjoys Lego. He collects Lego. So for all of you who think, well, Lego is just for, you know, small people, it's not. Uh, he wanted a Titanic, Lego Titanic. Now, this is not just, you know, this size. This is like big thing. Uh, there is a Lego store by my house. And so I was able to stop there and they had it in stock. And I was able to send him an email. Great news. I found it for you. I'll be on the ship tomorrow morning at 10 o'clock. So I was there yesterday morning with his large box of Lego, and for him, Christmas came early. He was so excited that he, was, he had said he had been looking for this particular Lego set for a long time, and every time he looked online, he would see that it was in stock, and within a couple of hours, it would be out of stock, and he was not able to get it. So he was extremely happy that uh, I was able to find it for him and deliver it to him uh, yesterday morning. But like I said, most of the crew now are finally getting shore leave, and that's a wonderful thing for them as well. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we had a, a young seafarer from Hong Kong uh, who's a Christian, and he was very thankful to be able to get off of the ship. He came into the seafarer center and spent about an hour and a half in our chapel just playing the piano. And he said for him, that was just a way to, it was a good stress relief for him to be able to get off the ship, sit in a chapel, play the piano for an hour and a half and not, he didn't have to think about work. He didn't have to think about things going on at home or anything like that. He could just, he could just sit, he could play, he could worship. And for him, that was a wonderful thing. And so we were able to we're, we're thankful that we're able to provide that space yet for seafarers who do who are able to come off their ships and who are uh, who do want to have a space to come and and visit. So one of the things that we're hoping to restart uh, in the next coming months is some of our uh, evening entertainments. Before the pandemic, we had been doing monthly uh, special events, so games nights. We did pumpkin carving. Uh, we had a rest and relaxation evening. Uh, so we're, we're hoping that we'll be able to start doing some of that again, just to, to draw the seafarers in, to have them interact with people from other ships, and just to have something fun where they don't need to uh, think about what's going on on the ships or, or that sort of thing. Uh, another thing that we've been very busy with the past couple of, of years, is, well, the past year basically, is um, vaccinations for seafarers. A lot of the crew, they're not able to join the ships unless they're fully vaccinated. And now the rules are changing so that they're not able to get shore leave unless they have their booster doses. And so in the past year, we have vaccinated and assisted with the vaccination of over 1,500 
seafarers as uh, they've come to Montreal. We have a very good relationship with the local clinic. We bring the seafarers there, and if any of them have trouble getting their QR codes afterwards, we're able to fix that for them. And so they're extremely grateful that they can um, come to Montreal and, and get, have that assistance with vaccination. Uh, for, for those of us, especially living in North America and in, in Western Europe, uh, when the vaccination rollout happened for everyone local, it was no, no big deal. We can make appointments, go in, get it done, no problem. For the seafarers, the companies were not really taking care of it. Nobody really knew who was going to take responsibility or uh, arrange things for the seafarers. And it was the seafarer centers, in, especially in North America and Western Europe, that stepped up and have assisted in, in uh, vaccinating well over 100,000 seafarers that have come to the ports in, in North America especially. And um, so it's, uh, it's something where, in some ways, this, this was a good outcome of the pandemic. I know it's kind of strange to say that pandemic was good, but... As far as getting people together who used to not talk, uh, for example, uh, from government, the unions, seafare welfare providers like us, uh, shipping companies, everybody used to do their own separate thing. And so in certain ports or certain regions or certain people, they might have a good relationship with one or two others in this, this wider uh, group of people. But there wasn't that kind of collective... People, group of people getting together to say we need to work together for seafarers welfare and in Canada at the um, beginning of the pandemic a group it, it was actually in process uh, the Canada Seafarer Welfare Board was in process it was going to be convened in April of 2020 and uh, because of the pandemic it was delayed by a few months, the official, you know, getting together. But we got together uh, informally, and we are still meeting approximately every six weeks or two months uh, as members, representatives from Transport Canada, uh, Immigration Canada, um, uh, the, the unions, the seafare, various seafare welfare providers like us. I'm, I'm one of the representatives on this board and uh, the various people from the shipping industry. And we're all able to get together and have these meetings and say, okay, the seafarers have, these, these are the issues that seafarers are facing. How do we address them from our own uh, perspectives? And so those of us who are going on board ships and talking with seafarers on a daily basis, we can say, this is what we are hearing from the seafarers. And we can tell that to the shipping companies and say, yeah, you know, from your offices, that, what, that might be what you're hearing. This is what we're hearing from the crew on the ships. And then we can tell t Transport Canada and give input into some of their guidelines for, short, for seafarers and, and things like that. And so that has been a wonderful outcome for us. And we've been doing a lot more advocacy type work for, for the seafarers. And having that, all these connections has been great. Uh, especially when we look at Ukrainians. Um, the, the war in Ukraine has really, really affected the seafarers. So a lot of Ukrainian seafarers that we meet, when they, when they finish their contracts, they're not able to go back home because anybody from the age of 18 to 55, I believe, is not, or males, 18 to 55, are not allowed to leave Ukraine. They are all, they all have to fight. 
And so the seafarers are within that age. And so if they go back into the Ukraine after they finish their contract, they cannot join another ship. If they don't join a ship, they don't have a job, they don't make money, their families suffer. So many of them are, have to figure out other places to go. Um, many of them have lost family members. Uh, many of them don't know what has happened to their families. It's, it's very, very difficult. And so we spend a lot of time just talking with the seafarers and just um, listen, mainly listening to them as they tell what, what's been going on in their country and how they're feeling about that. We've also had the opportunity to have several Ukrainian seafarers who have settled in Montreal, and we've assisted them in, in connecting them with uh, shipping companies or other people who might be able to help them get jobs in Montreal so to assist them as, the, as they're settling here. So there, there is a lot going on, so we do thank you very much for your support. Uh, one of the ways that you can support us is uh, by supporting our bike tour. So Saturday, September 10, we are holding our third annual bike tour in Montreal. So if you would like to make a nice, you know, it's about two and a half hour drive old to old Montreal and you can join us. Uh, hopefully it'll be a nice day. Uh, on, on a bike tour there, we have a 12 kilometer route, 25 kilometers, 50 kilometers, or if you're more hardcore cyclist, 100 kilometers. And uh, we would be happy to have any of you join us. Um, lunch is provided. And the routes, we try and put them around uh, uh, various bodies of water and um, around, around Montreal. And Montreal has some great bike paths. So it's, uh, it's good fun. Last year, we had about 25 people. We raised $15,000. Uh, this year, our goal is to raise $20,000. So you could uh, uh, join us in person. Or you can support any of us uh, as, as we're biking. Um, and again, like I said, thank you very much for your support and for your prayers. It is uh, very appreciated. As, as Ron mentioned, um, in 2018, we gave out 1,600 Christmas parcels. That's pretty much re remained the same uh, over the past, the past few years. We average around 15, 1,500 Christmas parcels that we give out to seafarers every uh, in, in December. And so that's, that's also very much appreciated. So thank you again for, for your support, for your continued prayers as well. So at this time, I would like to open our scriptures. Our Bible passage this morning is Matthew 14 verses, uh, yeah, there is a typo. It's 22 to 33, not 23. So if, uh, yeah, so Matthew chapter 14, verses 22 to 33. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, but the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. During the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. 
But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So I moved to Montreal to work with Ministry to Seafarers 22 years ago. And that was a very big change for me. I grew up in a very small town near Sarnia, Ontario. I went to Christian school from kindergarten through grade 12. And then I went on to attend Kuiper College, which is a Christian college in Grand Rapids, Michigan, with a a Reformed background. It was a Reformed Bible College when I went there. So I was fairly well insulated in Christian Reformed circles growing up. And I knew that after I graduated with my my bachelor's degree in cross-cultural studies, I needed an internship that would give me a little bit more real-life experience. And so I left my rather cozy and insulated life, and I moved to Montreal, which is a much larger city than anything that I was used to, to start working at the Seafarers Centre. I was fresh out of college, and I moved into a work environment and a city where I did not know a soul. I had no idea what to expect working with seafarers, Uh, I did visit the Seafarer Centre when I was in grade 12 on our grade 12 French trip to Montreal, and I remember nothing about it. So so for any any student groups that come to Montreal now, I, you know, talk to them, but I also tell them, look, I know you probably won't remember anything I tell you, uh, because I really don't. I just knew about the Seafarer Centre, and I ended up there a few years later. Now, before I moved to Montreal, I received all sorts of advice about how to ensure my safety while dealing with seafarers. I had some people tell me to make sure that I always carried a knife or pepper spray, neither of which I carry nor have ever had any need for. This move was also very unexpected for many who knew me when I was younger, because growing up, I was a very shy and quiet person. So public speaking, preaching... Talking with complete strangers was not at all something that I felt comfortable doing. When I moved to Montreal, I had no idea what my job as a chaplain would entail. But I kind of had an idea that it would involve talking with people from different countries. And as I quickly discovered, my job as a chaplain involves going into the port and boarding the ships that are docked there, spending time with the crew members on board. It was rather intimidating the first few ships that I visited, and I was definitely out of my comfort zone. I was forced to talk with people from different countries, people I had never met before and in many cases would never meet again. And there were many times those first weeks, months, that I wondered what on earth was I doing. I think most of us have stories where we are thrown out of our comfort zones and forced to do things that we thought we would never do. The question becomes, what do we do in these situations? Do we trust that God will guide us and help us through the situation? Or do we freeze and run the other way, promising ourselves that we will never, ever get into that situation again and 
stay nicely within our own comfort zones. Our passage today deals with this dilemma of stepping out in faith or staying where it's comfortable. So first, a a bit of background to this story. Jesus had recently heard that his cousin, John the Baptist, had been beheaded by King Herod, and he tried to go someplace alone with his disciples. However, crowds of people followed him, so Jesus had compassion, he healed a whole bunch of people, and then when it was evening, the people were really hungry, and Jesus fed over 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish. So this was not a small number of people who had followed Jesus. It was quite a large group. But Jesus still needed that time to get alone and pray and mourn the death of his cousin. So after he fed the people, he sent the disciples across the lake in their boat by themselves while he went up on the mountainside to pray. Now the disciples probably didn't want to leave Jesus, but he compelled them to go on on their own. Now, not all the disciples were fishermen, but several of them were, including Peter. So this would have been a comfortable and familiar place for them. In the boat, on the water. They had done this many, many times before as fishermen. Out on the lake, crossing from one side to another, fishing in the middle of the night. They were in their comfort zone. Sailors will tell you that that sailing gets into your blood. You might stop sailing, but the urge is always there to go back. My husband, Don, was a seafarer for a number of years when we met. And if you ask him, he'll tell you that he misses it, even though he doesn't sail anymore. Despite being in a comfortable and familiar environment, storms at sea are never fun. One of the very common stories that I hear from seafarers, especially in the winter, is about how bad the weather is in the North Atlantic. And we regularly have ships that are delayed because they encounter bad weather and storms. Now, all the ships that are caught in storms don't make the news very often. But there was one uh, recently, actually in the beginning of July, that was caught in a storm off the coast of Sydney, Australia. It lost all power and was drifting. They were very afraid that the ship would run aground. And they tried to tow the ship, but the tow rope snapped and... It was not a good situation at all. The ship uh, was drifting, tossed around. The seafarers said that they felt like they were in a washing machine because they had absolutely no power and no way of controlling the movement of the ship. Thankfully, nothing serious happened. The ship was able to, uh, to be towed into port eventually. And uh, the port chaplain there, uh, my friend Sister Mary, was able to meet them and care for these crew members uh, who had faced a, a rather traumatic situation. Now, although the storm that the disciples encountered didn't last for days, it was still not a pleasant experience for them, especially when you consider that they would have been in in an open fishing boat. Early in the morning, while the boat was about halfway across the lake, a storm came up. Verse 24 says that the boat was buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. The disciples were not going anywhere fast and wouldn't until the wind died down and the waves stopped. This is not a comfortable position for any sailor. No matter how long they've been sailing or how many storms that they have sailed through or how big the ship is, they always pray for good weather. And it's at this point that Jesus goes over to them, walking on the water. 
Jesus isn't bothered by the wind or the waves. I imagine that he walked on the water as if he was walking along the beach on a sunny day. He is the one who is in control and he's showing his mastery over the elements. Some commentators say that Jesus was just going to just kind of walk by the boat, just showing the disciples his power as he passed on by. But the disciples see him and instead of immediately thinking, oh, there's Jesus, that's kind of cool. And being comforted by his presence and acknowledging his power over the elements, they're terrified and they cry out, it's a ghost. Seafarers can be quite superstitious and a fear of ghosts or seeing ghosts on the ship is more common than you, than you might think. A few years after I started working in Montreal, the crew on one of our regular ships was having a bit of a rough time because they had a ghost on board. They told me that a crew member had died of a heart attack on the ship a few years before that, and that and this crew, they felt that his ghost was on board and causing strange things to happen because he hadn't been properly laid to rest. So they asked me to come and say prayers for the ghost so that he wouldn't disturb them anymore. Again, this was another time where I was very much out of my comfort zone. I had never been asked to say prayers for a ghost before. But the crew members felt very strongly about this, and it was affecting their work and their state of mind while on board. And because they knew me and they felt comfortable with me, they asked for help. So I went on board, and they, they took me to the place where the man had died, and I prayed for peace and comfort, both for the family of, of the man who had died and for those who were currently on, on the ship. And I didn't hear anything else after that about the ghost, so... They, at least the, the, the seafarers were comforted at, by, the, by the prayers. And it's no wonder that, that the disciples thought Jesus was a ghost. Normal people do not walk on water. The disciples still didn't really understand who Jesus was and what they had come to do. They had seen him do miracles for many people. And only a few hours earlier, he had fed over 5,000 people with hardly anything. Yet they still don't realize who Jesus is. But then there's Peter. Now, Peter seems to kind of waffle between times of, of true faith and true doubt. In this instance, he calls out to Jesus, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. And when you think about it, this is truly an act of faith. How many of us would even consider stepping out of a boat when just moments before, we're afraid we're not going to make it to the other side. Moments before, we think we see a ghost, and the wind and the waves are still causing the boat to make no headway. You don't step out of a boat willingly in these conditions. But Jesus tells him to come, and Peter, trusting in Jesus, steps out of the boat. We could dismiss this as a, a foolish action. Like, what on earth was Peter thinking? He always was a very impulsive one, not always thinking about the consequences of his actions. That's probably what the other disciples were thinking. You notice that none of the rest of them stood up asking Jesus to tell them to come. So Peter steps out of the boat and he starts walking on water. It must have been an incredible feeling for him, seeing the wind and the waves and not being affected by them. 
But then Peter looks around and he sees the wind and the waves all around him and you can almost hear what goes through his head. I've got to be crazy. There's no way I can be doing this. Look at that wave coming. I'm going to drown. And as soon as he takes his eyes off Jesus, he starts to sink. Now, Peter's life was full of moments like this. At one point, he's full of faith. And the next, you wouldn't even believe that he's one of Jesus' disciples. One example of this comes in Matthew chapter 16, which says, When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. But then just a few verses later, when Jesus predicts his own death and resurrection, Peter takes him aside and rebukes him for saying these things. Peter still didn't understand who Jesus truly was. Another example of Peter going from this faith to doubt switch occurs when jesus is arrested john 18 records the soldiers coming to arrest jesus and peter grabbed the sword and and cut off the ear of the high priest's servant he's willing to defend jesus by any means necessary however later that night when jesus is being questioned peter denies jesus three times his faith once again is shaken But we know that this isn't the end of Peter's faith. In Acts, we read of Peter standing up after Pentecost and testifying to the gospel of Jesus. He went from being a fisherman, someone on the lower end of the social ladder, to being a great speaker and preacher, spreading the news of Christ to everyone that he met. Our lives can mirror Peter's. We have times in our life when storms come and we don't know what we're going to do times when we are forced out of our comfort zones. We may be faced with an illness, the loss of a job, the death of a loved one, or many, many other instances that we could all think of. So what do we do in those situations? Do we try to hide and deny the storm around us? Or do we step up in faith, trusting that Jesus is with us and that he will guide us through? The first reaction would be to just Keep on pushing through like the disciples did in the boat. The wind was pushing them in one direction and they tried to go against it. Consequently, they remained in the same place that they were to start with. If we try to push through the storms of life on our own, the storms will push back and will remain in the same position, frustrated and tired. Or we could also pretend that unpleasant things just don't happen. We hide what's really going on and we pretend everything is fine, putting a smile on our face to show the world that we have everything under control. It's often more difficult to admit that we aren't in control, that things in our lives are not perfect. It's easier to just let go and start over. A few years ago, I heard a speaker who had been a pastor of a church in New Orleans was basic, he basically had everything wiped out in Hurricane Katrina. He was evacuated and he saw on the news that everything that was going on in New Orleans and he was ready to call it quits. His entire congregation was scattered and probably wouldn't return, or so he thought. 
He was ready to move on to another city and start a church somewhere else. But then he got a call from a few church members who told him that there were still a number of them left in New Orleans. And they asked him when he was coming back to lead services. He thought God had abandoned him and his congregation and the people of New Orleans. But he quickly realized that God was still there and was still working in his life and in the lives of his congregation. So he went back and he started holding services for, a, for his congregation, sharing space with another church. Faith is a journey. Peter had faith when he stepped out of the boat. He did something that he had never done before. He did something that he probably thought was never possible. He ended up getting a bit wet, but he stepped out of the boat. A healthy faith allows us to take risks and step out of our comfort zones when we keep our eyes on Jesus. He has promised that he will be with us always. It is difficult at times to keep our eyes on Jesus and believe that he is with us at all, all times. Peter lost his way. He took his eyes off Jesus and he focused on the wind and the waves surrounding him and he started to sink. Now, Jesus could have let him sink to teach him a lesson about doubting and have Peter be an example to the rest of the disciples of what not to do. However, Jesus doesn't do this. As soon as Peter starts to sink and calls out to Jesus, Jesus is there to, to take his hand, pull him back up to safety. He does ask Peter why he doubted, but he wasn't as hard on Peter as he could have been. Think about how we react when someone disappoints us. Our reactions are often a lot stronger than a simple rebuke. Our disappointments can continue for days or weeks or longer. Jesus, however, does not make it an issue. And he does the same with us. We disappoint him with our lack of faith and unwillingness to step out of our comfort zones. Often we wallow in self-pity instead, instead of turning our eyes to Jesus. We forget who Jesus is and why he came to earth in the first place. We try to handle things in our lives with our own strength, rather than relying on Jesus to hold us up and keep us steady. Jesus has infinite patience with us when you think about it. How many times do opportunities come which we don't take advantage of because we're scared, because it's out of our comfort zones, because we're afraid of how we'll feel? How often do we let our insecurities and fears keep us from telling others about our relationship with Jesus? Instead of keeping our eyes on Jesus and trusting him with every part of our life, we try to do things on our own. But Jesus doesn't wash his hands of us. He forgives us and gives us more chances to live in faith. Jesus knows what we are like. He lived on earth with imperfect people. People like Peter who both walked on water and then sank because of doubt. God could have washed his hands of us on many occasions. But instead of doing that, he sent Jesus to earth to take the punishment for all of us. And through his death and resurrection, we are forgiven and free. Free to live lives of faith, knowing that when we mess up and doubt, Jesus will be right beside us, picking us up, plucking us out of the water when we start to sink.
He will be with us, giving us the courage to step out of our comfort zones, to face the storms of life, whatever they may be, whenever they may occur. Having this promise and this assurance gives us the strength to remain faithful in all situations. Although we may change our minds, God never changes and he will never forsake us. So let us thank God for his faithfulness, his faithfulness to us, despite our times of doubt. Glory be to God. Amen.